Audio podcast. I'm Crispin Schroeder. Today on the podcast, we have a special guest speaker, uh, Jim Holland, who uh, used to be a part of the New Orleans Vineyard, but has been living up in the Portland, Oregon area for a few years now and was back in town. So uh, it's been a few years since Jim has spoken to the church, so I invited him to come deliver the message today. So title of this message is Radical Rebellious Rabbi, looking at a familiar story of Mary and Martha, but kind of drawing out some some interesting ideas that maybe you haven't heard before. So anyway, let's go ahead and head to the salt, North Shore Avenue Church, downtown Covington. Thanks for listening. special guest with us all the way in from uh, Portlandia, Portlandia, Oregon-ish area. Um, Jim Holland and I worked on staff together at the Kinder Vineyard. He was initially in charge of youth, and then like everything, by the end of his time there, he was kind of over half the church. Um, But uh, especially after I left, you know, they just rolled everything over to to Jim that I know. Uh, I had uh, last time I think Jim spoke here was uh, the weekend after I had a heart attack, and uh, so we were in the other building, and and he was the uh, the, the the person I could call on short notice to. Uh, but it's been many years since he's been here. Jim is a very good friend and uh, has been in the the vineyard for uh, quite some time, uh, along with us, and um, so in many churches from Ohio to Mississippi to. Portland. So anyway, why don't you give a nice, warm, North Shore Vineyard welcome to Jim Holland. You're too kind. It is good to be back. I recognize some people uh, here. Do you guys realize how humid it is here? Oh, I know. No, no. Believe me, I know. But I stepped off the plane and was like, what has happened here? Um, uh, I, I, if, you've ever, if you've ever seen the show Portlandia, it looks insane. And if you haven't seen it, you should watch it. It's, it's crazy. A- and it's accurate. <laughs> it, it, the place is crazy. Oregon is a crazy place. Uh, our town that we moved to was the first town. It's a, it's a small town. It's right on the edge of the mountains. It was the first town or city in the country to have a transgender mayor. And uh, his name, her name, she can't decide how to address her, is Stu. And, And Stu is very, very cool. And Westboro Baptist Church, if you know who they are, came out to protest Stu. And, uh... And that's one of the reasons I love living in this town, because any place that Westboro Baptist will protest, I'm like, yeah, I want to be part of that. 
But they came out, and the entire town, the churches organized and came out and anti-protested the Westboro Baptist Church and literally chased them out of town. And, you know, it, it uh, just did great things to my soul to see, uh, especially Christians get to get, getting together and blowing up what is normal and, and living this kind of radical love. And, and like I said, the whole place loves Stu. And um, I have a neighbor who uh, lives, like, there's a house across the street. He lives uh, the next house over. And we would walk by his house, my friend and I go, go walking, and we, we noticed his garden. He has a backyard that's, you know, probably almost as big as, as this room. And we noticed this guy has a garden. And we're like, cool. Everybody in Oregon has some kind of organic garden. And we, we walk past it and we're like, ah, we see he's growing something. Awesome. And then, you know, a few weeks later we walk by and we're like, well, it's getting tall. Maybe it's corn. And, uh, and, and we, uh, we walk by and we're like, I'm, I'm not sure what that is. And, you know, a little while later, we're like, that, that's uh, getting really tall. Somebody's going to reach over and whack off, you know, a piece of that and, like, take it home with them. And uh, we said, man, maybe he should do something about that uh, so people can't see it. And two days later, like, a four-foot extension went over his fence so you couldn't see it. And uh, this guy's name is Dan. And Dan, in his backyard... Backyard garden, grew marijuana. Now in Oregon, it's perfectly legal, recreationally, medicinally. Um, if you want to do it legally, to grow it legally, there is a process, there's a state process. You have to fill out all this documentation. He had done all of that. He had done everything legally, didn't smoke it. He, it's a nice house, has two kids, and he made $90,000 a year growing marijuana for he's gardening I'm gardening I don't make $90,000 for you know the plants that I plant and uh, somehow he started coming to our church and uh, one day he came in and he said guess what I did we're like what it's like I took I took the extreme roundup herbicide and I sprayed all my plants and we were like what he said, you know, the Bible's clear. All things are permissible, but, but not everything is good. Not everything is, is uh, beneficial. And uh, I was like, well, that, that's great. You know, you weren't doing anything, I, I guess, immoral or, or definitely not illegal. And he said, but God told me there's something better for me. And... He looked at me and he's like, Jesus is radical. I was like, yeah, he is. And so he's now radically changed his life. He is, uh, he, he's loved Jesus for years. You know, this was just a business for him. But he is now working a full-time job, heavy construction, uh, about $15 an hour. He's working on a part-time job about the same kind of thing just to get by. And he said, it's okay. God's, God's got something better for me. And the radical nature of how Jesus will change what we think is okay, um, it, it blows my mind. And if, if, you, if that's not the Jesus you've, you've experienced, 
you need to get to know that Jesus. So um, before I knew I was coming down here, God put this, this uh, piece of scripture on my heart, and I didn't know what to do with it. And when I talked to Crispin and said, I'm coming down there, you're going to let me speak correct, right, right? <laughs> and he said, yeah. Um, I knew, I knew that this, this piece was what I was supposed to speak on. I don't know where, I don't even know what the end point is going to be, except, you know, Jesus is, is pretty radical. So if, you, if you've ever read in Luke 10, there's the, the story of Jesus going to the house of Mary and Martha. And Martha is doing what? She's working. She's doing the work. What would then be considered woman's work? Women were, were held as just slightly above slavery. Just they were property. Uh, they had no rights. And... Uh, you know, it was just an awful existence for women. Mary, on the other hand, was doing what? Praying. She was praying. She was sitting at his feet. What was she doing? Worshiping. Worshiping. Yeah. Listening. The, the typical story goes that, that Martha was working, Mary was, um, was worshiping, and that, you know, Martha came in and got all stomp, stompy foot and was like, why isn't she helping me? Make her help me. And, and Mary, you know, Mary goes, uh, or, or Jesus says, uh, you're missing the point. You're missing the one thing. And Mary's, you know, sitting there. Well, I always heard it as Mary was worshiping. And so it, the story is you should, you know, don't get lost in the work in order to worship. You know, you have to, there's a balance, but worship is most important. But... It really says nothing about worship. The, the verse there says that Jesus was teaching. She was sitting there listening. And I get geeked out sometimes when I find little nuggets. I, just, I totally geek out. I'm like, what? So Mary's sitting there, and she has taken the role of a disciple. She is being taught. Now, what, ha what went on back then was someone would say to a rabbi, I would like to be a rabbi. I would like to become like you as a rabbi. I want to learn to do what you do. And if you will allow me and choose me, I will follow you. And there's no curriculum for becoming a rabbi. You just walk around and the rabbi says, oh, you know, look, there's, there's a squid. And the squid will tell you, I don't know, they didn't have squid. But, you know, he, just through life, he would explain scriptures to, to his followers if he accepted them. Jesus, on the other hand, went and said, you and you and you. And most rabbis said, no, no. Okay, I'll, I'll take you. And a disciple, as I was studying, a disciple um, in the Old Testament, in the, in the rabbinical sense, is not just a student who's there to learn. It's not like, uh, you know, if you have a class, Vineyard 101 or, you know, uh, Bible 101, New Testament 101, whatever. It wasn't that. Disciples were there to become rabbis. Do you get that? They were there to become what we would call a pastor. So Mary is sitting at the feet, learning, not as a student, but as Someone who has taken a position of being prepared to be a rabbi. That blew my mind. Because that was totally unheard of for the day. 
there is a first century, uh, first century rabbi named uh, Eliezer, and he is noted as saying, it would be better to set the Torah on fire than to entrust it to a woman. This was the mindset that they had. And if a rabbi was there and a woman came in and sat down, the rabbi would, would have them dragged out have, or have them stoned, or the rabbi would run to get out of, of that because it would be a total scandal to have a woman sitting as a disciple. Total scandal. His reputation would be destroyed. But I go back to what my friend said. Jesus is radical. He allowed her to come and sit in a position to say, I want, I want to be like you. I want to be a rabbi like you. And, and Jesus is like, cool. That's, that's great. And it typically, in that situation, the other students would be like freaking out. You cannot be here. You, you, you cannot. No, you cannot be here. But it says nothing about that. They were just all sitting there. And, uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know what it says to you, but Jesus took this mindset, took this practice, and blew it up and said, yeah, yeah, I have women that are, I'm training. I'm training them to, to be pastors. I'm training them to be rabbis. Yeah, what about it? Total scandal. Women weren't allowed in the temple. I mean, they had a women's court, and they called it the women's court, not because it was the place for women. But that is as far as women could go into the court at all. And if a, woman was, if a woman was having a time of bleeding, she was not allowed anywhere near the temple. But the cool thing is, if you, if you know the story, um, when Jesus was crucified, the, the veil was torn meaning all of a sudden the glory of God was released and the Holy Spirit poured out on people, including women, including women who were bleeding. That's insane for the time. And so I was looking at this and I was thinking, okay, well, they had these laws of, of who could go to the temple and, and who, could be, um, who could be a disciple and there was a lot of it that was what we would call a preference. It wasn't necessarily like a law, although there were some, but some of it was just a preference. I don't want to be that guy. I don't, I don't want to do it. And I don't know if you have ever done this, and maybe you'll admit it, maybe you won't. You won't. Have you ever gone to church and said, I cannot, I, I can't worship here because, well, well they, they have LED lights. I, I just can't do it. That's a preference. What is God wanting to do? Our church, our vineyard church, moved into a, uh, we rent, we're renting a Baptist building. And I walked in and I was like, this smells like old Baptist church. I don't, I don't want to be here. And God's like, is, is that what I'm doing? Or is, is, you know, is, is that your thing? And I'm like, oh. And then, it, then I was like, Man, they, they have like uh, the fluorescent uh, tube lights. They have like the, the little, not the tube lights, but the little, what do you call those? The compact fluorescent things? And I'm like, oh, those kill me. I, I can't worship here. And God's like, is that a preference? Or is that what I'm doing? 
okay, okay. I had a, a conversation with my friend. Uh, her name's Lisa. I've known her since we were like really young. And she's like, churches should use hymnals. It is not right to use a screen. It's right to use hymnals. And my response was simply, so I guess for the first 1,800 years of, like, the Christian church, they were wrong. She's like, what do you mean? Forget it. <laughs> you know, just forget it. It's a preference, you know. Our church has pews. I hate it. And God's like, well, are you going to sit behind, you know, in the pew and hate it? Or are you going to get out in the aisle? Are you going to come down front and worship me? What do you... What is your preference versus what am I trying to do? And he wants me to be a disciple. He wants me, he wants you, he wants you, he wants you to become a disciple. Someone that he is going to send out as a rabbi to the world, to be a light to the world, to love people like Stu. That... If he came, you know, to the south where I grew up in Mississippi, I don't know what would happen to him. But we love Stu. You know, we go to his business all the time. We're supposed to be a disciple to go there and get rid of our preferences and find out what God wants to do. We're supposed to love Dan, the guy who grows marijuana. And, you know, that's hard to do. It stretches me. But I want to be stretched. I don't want to be stuck in my own preferences. Do you understand what I'm saying when I say preferences? It's like, well, I don't like this church. You have chandeliers. Why, why would you have crystal chandeliers in a church? That's just wrong. <laughs> Wait, what? Is that your preference? Or is that what God provided? Or is that what he wants you know, to be here? You know, and then you go to another church and you're like, they, they don't have chandeliers. I can't worship here. <laughs> I had a woman who told me, um, who, who told me, uh, I, I do some videos uh, on YouTube called uh, Things They Don't Teach in Pastor School. It's just goofy stuff. And I talked about, hey, maybe your church needs some black or dark paint in it. Because, I mean, the dark ceiling really creates an intimate feeling in this space. And this woman... <laughs> commented and she said she said black is the color of the devil <laughs> then then why do pastors wear black robes in many churches we look at church a lot of times as a country club i pay my dues therefore i should get what i want i should have the decoration i want i should have the songs that i can worship to and that's not how it works. I give to the church so the church can fulfill its mission. And I give to the church because I'm investing in the church and its mission. And I give because I'm supposed to give. And I don't give to get what I want. I'm like, oh, somebody's up here playing, you know, a ham and organ. I, I can't worship to that. Well, you're stupid. <laughs> that doesn't matter. It makes no difference. My wife's a worship leader, and she's like, if I, you know, if I have to have a, like a, a djembe or a garbage can and sing, I would rather have that than have people who are just kind of, eh. What is God doing versus what is your preference? And you can't see church as a country club where you pay 
you know, and I don't mean that in, as a, we're a country club. I mean, we think of it as I pay my dues and I get what I want. No, you pay your dues, you put aside preferences, and you hopefully are open and stretched enough to see Jesus do something radical and get what he has for you. I mean, if I, if I said to you, hey, somebody give me your wallet. You know, you know if I said, to, I could do that. Somebody give me your wallet, okay? Do you have credit cards in it? Yeah. I just, oh, okay. So, okay, thank you. I've got your wallet. And then I'm like, I'm walking around for 10 minutes. And, uh, and, and whoever's wallet is, is looking at me going, what are you, what are you doing? What are you doing with my wallet? You know you would be, right? If I, you're like, why did he want my wallet? And I'm not talking about it. I'm just walking around. And you hold up the wallet and you say, are you worried about this? Are you concerned with what I'm going to do with it? Why? Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be. If you invest in a company, you start going, checking, well, not the newspaper anymore, but you start checking the internet and going, oh, look, uh, CrispinSchroeder.com is doing really, really well today. Uh, oh, took a dive. I might have to de-divest, to divest from that. You start to really care, and then you start to really want that business to do well. When you invest in the church, I wasn't supposed to talk about giving. I don't know what Chris back there going, oh, he's, he's going to start talking about tithing. No, 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 it's not that. It's when we invest in the church, we want the church to do well. So when we put aside our preferences and we say, God, what do you want this church to look like? Then we're investing our heart and hopefully our money, and we go, I want this to be exactly what God wants it to be, and if, and if it means we have bluegrass, old-school worship, and that's what God has, has wanted to put here in Covington, then we will do that. And then the congregation says, I'm in, because I want to be on mission with God. God, God did not create a mission for the church. God created the church for the mission. And so what is your mission? What's a preference? And what is God doing? That's it. And you can do that in your own life. So I'm, I'm going to finish up with this because I have a giant watch I can't read. Um, uh, I go see a counselor. I, I've dealt with depression for a long time. And I go see this Vietnamese man who's like this tall. And he's like me. He's, he's annoying as he can be. And when I say, I'm doing this, he's like, how's that working out for you? And I'm like, oh, I've said that to people my whole life. It's, now I realize why people hate me. And, and he said to me, what is your mission statement? I was like, what do you mean? What is my mission? What is your personal mission statement? I'm like, I, I don't know. What, I was like, I've had a ministry mission statement, which has been my whole life, 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. And if you know that, it's basically... What you've heard me say, entrust to reliable people who, who can teach others, who can teach others, who can teach others, who can teach others. That's been my ministry statement. And I told him that, and he's like, no, that doesn't count. And I'm like, well, you're Vietnamese. What do you know? And I didn't say that. That would have been awful. In it. But he said, you need a personal mission statement that speaks to who you want to be. And it has to be specific to you. And it has to be who you want to become or, or who you are not that you want to be. And I'm like, I have no idea. He's like, well, you know, General Electric had, we're going to be number one. 
And that was their thing. Whatever it was, they were going to be number one. And if they couldn't be number one, they would buy whoever was number one so they could be number one. Ford had uh, quality as job one. And they knew whatever it was, quality as job one. And so he said, what is your mission statement? I, I, don't, I don't know. You know, a couple of months later, he's asking, what's your mission statement? I, I don't know. I was racking my brain. I was going through trying to find scripture. And I was like, ooh, Malachi, Malachi oh, you know, but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly. That's with, and God's like, no, that's not it. And I'm like, okay. I mean, if I ask you what your mission statement is, could you just rattle it off to me? And if I said, think about it for a day, could you rattle it off to me? I don't know. So one day I was, I was lying on my couch um, looking outside. If you lie on my couch and you look outside, you see we have about an acre. It's beautiful. There's Japanese maples. And then behind that, about, I don't know, three or 400 yards, there's a vineyard. And then behind that are the Cascade Mountains. And so I lie on my couch and I look out the back door and God and I, we have what I call my alignment time with him there. And I was lying there one morning just talking to him, and it just hit me. I just prayed this, and I don't know where it came from. But I said, God, I have missed a lot of life because of, of depression or because of mistakes. And, and then this is what came out. I want to live in every moment. And I want to live every moment in your presence. Boom. And I knew it. I knew it. That's my mission statement. That is my mission statement. I want to be alive in every moment, and I want to be alive in that moment in the very presence of God. I was like, this is so cool. And every morning, God and I, I sit down, and uh, you know, I have my alignment time. I'm like, God, I want to be alive in every moment today, every moment, every single moment. And I want to be alive in your presence and then I, I talked to him. I'm like, show me something I don't know. Show me something I've never seen. I'm not looking for signs and wonders. Show me something. Stretch me. Challenge me. Take away what are my preferences and be radical. Be the radical genius. Blow up what I think church should look like. Blow up what I think Christianity should look like. That's a dangerous prayer. And I, I, I think organs just kind of made me crazy. I don't know. Wacky people. But that's what he's done in my heart. And as I look, at, I, I look at Mary sitting there at the feet of Jesus saying, I want to be a rabbi like you, which is what she was really communicating. Jesus was saying, preferences don't matter. They don't matter. What people are used to and comfortable with doesn't, doesn't matter. What, what am I doing right now? And so what is your mission statement? I, I'm going to challenge you. This is like some religious exercise that I learned in seminary. I mean, this is, this is from the little Vietnamese counselor guy. What, what is your mission statement? What has God planted on your heart to be your mission statement for life? Who you're going to be, what you're going to be about who you want to become, not a cliche, it's specific to you. What is, your, what is your mission statement and what preferences does he want to nix? 
Personally, I'm praying God will nix the pews in our church, but I don't see that happening. But last week, for the first time, I was like, okay, I'm going to go down front where nobody goes down here. And I'm going to raise my hands and I'm going to fall on my knees if, if that's what I'm supposed to do. Well, we don't do that. I don't care. I don't care. That's a preference. My preference is to be aligned with God and to be in every moment with him. So that's what I got. Come to Oregon sometime. I'll introduce you to Stu. Um, so uh, I'm going to pray. Is that good? And, uh, and then, I don't know, are you guys going to do anything or should I just say goodbye? Crispin, he's like, eh, it's whatever. I love that about him. Let's pray. Father, I ask, first off, I thank you for the work you've done in me, especially over the last year, and this geekiness in finding weird little words and studying them. I love that. I love that. And I thank you that it's not just like for, uh, for a sermon or it's not just for, um, you know, Bible study I'm doing. It's like I read something, and God, you, you go, hey, look at this. And I know you want to do that with everybody here. So I thank you for your willingness to look at everybody here and say it's okay to sit at my feet because you're, you're made to be a rabbi. Everybody here is made to be a rabbi, is made to be a pastor where they work and where they live. God, I ask that you would anoint them right now to do that. I ask that you would pour upon them your spirit and that they would fall and sit staring at you and that they would find a place where, where they can stare out into your creation and say, whatever you want, get rid of my preferences. Father, I ask that they all of us would learn what is a preference when it comes to your kingdom and your church and how we worship and how we love each other. And you would challenge us on what is you and what is not. And I ask God finally that you would reveal to everybody here your mission statement for them personally. And that they would wake up every day knowing what you designed them for. They wouldn't wander around guessing and hoping and making stuff up. And I ask your blessing on this church, Father. Let it be a place where people invest their time and their talent and their treasure. And they follow the wallet around and, and they want to make sure not that their preference happens, but that the mission happens. And God, in this place, blow up anything that is a preference and not you. You are an amazing God, and you will use crazy people for your crazy radical work, for your crazy rabbis that you're raising up. And we pray this in the only name that matters, the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Jim. Well, if you're here and you would like to get some personal prayer, feel free to come up uh, to the front. And if you're a mother, we just uh, 
Bless you in the name of Jesus. Oh, oh. Sorry. Okay, I'm sorry. I have to say this. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm adopted. I was adopted as a small child. When I was about 40, I found out who my biological family was, talked to my mom, talked to her twice in my life, and I'm having Mother's Day lunch with her today. So, God, God's crazy. He made it happen. I just, I had to share that. Thank you. So that's pretty cool. So, if you're a mother, we bless you today and hope you have a, a, a wonderful day of feeling blessed and honored. And if you are a son or daughter, we pray that you would bless your mother. <laughs> if you need any prayer, feel free to come up to the front. We'll have some members of our prayer team over here to pray with you. Otherwise, God bless you. See you next week.